Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 81. I made a promise. Psalm 81. Actually, I enjoyed studying Psalm 81 very much, and I'm glad that I did what I did because it is just too rich with the amount of time that we had last time we went through it to do it justice. Really, the overview of Psalm 81 is God's plea for Israel's obedience, begging them to come back, reminding them of key events in their history where he was strong on their behalf, certain things that he worked into their life, especially the feasts. We're going to be looking at four in particular, simply because we're people of nature that forget. And uh, even Paul in the New Testament, he says, I'm not writing things that you don't already know. I'm writing about things you already know. I'm writing to stir you up so that you would remember. So as we look at Psalm 81, let's just look at the first four verses here. It deals with what's called the Feasts of the Trumpet. So Psalm 81, we're regressing, so this is a Psalm of Asaph. Beginning with Psalm 84, we change to the sons of Korah. Now, there's some confusion. Was the sons of Korah the writers, or was it for the sons of Korah? I think it's clear that these were written by the sons of Korah. At least that's most commentators' assessment of it. But if you hold a different view, I certainly wouldn't be dogmatic. But tonight we're in Psalm 81. This is Psalm of Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength and make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel the pleasant harp with the loop, and blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on a solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel. So what we have in the first four verses are the seven feasts that Israel has. If you were Jewish, you were required to be involved with three of these feasts, The hint here is the blowing of the trumpet at the new moon. This uh, is all very proper because the new moon appears before the sun of righteousness arises when he returns. Beautiful picture of, of the Lord's return. It's also a beautiful picture of the Feast of Tabernacles. Israel had four feasts that began at the beginning of the year. That would be Passover, Pentecost, uh, First Fruits, and then Tabernacles. With that being said... I want you to turn to the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. So let's make our way there. Much of what was written in the Psalms is prophetic. It looks towards the future. Evidently, after the Lord has established his kingdom and his kingdom is reigning, that the feasts, in particular the Feast of Tabernacle, will be reinstituted. Of course, there is no temple today in Jerusalem. But here, let's pick it up in verse 16. The background is the 1,000-year millennial reign, which I think is where we're going on Sunday and just talk about the kingdom age. But here we have what's going to be happening beginning with verse 16. It says, It'll come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem So right there, there's just a whole lot to take in because now we're talking the whole tribulation period. The Bible says that after that seven-year period of time, man will be rare. People will be rare on the earth. I mean, just in chapter 6, Revelation 6, one quarter of the world's population is destroyed. So take in verse 16. We have to tie in at the same time here, Matthew 25, 
verse 30, where it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, we have Jesus having a 45-day time of judgment where he separates the sheep from the goats. Well, when does that happen? It happens at the end of the great tribulation period. So those that are left of the nations, which were told in Matthew 25, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. We have those that remain who evidently did not take the mark of the beast. So the rest of it says, the ones that are left, which came against Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and notice, and keep the feast of tabernacles. What was the feast of tabernacles? Well, it was so they wouldn't forget. And I would give the overview of Psalm 81. It's God's plea for them to remember all that he delivered them from. The picture for you and I is never forgetting where you came from, what you were delivered from. We should always have this attitude of gratitude, this feast, this remembrance. I remember where I was at before the Lord rescued me, and I'm grateful. And we have that commemorated when uh, this Sunday we have communion. What are we going to do? We're going to remember that uh, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. So here, they're going to keep, again, the Feast of Tabernacles, all right? Verse 17, and it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, of whom then there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they will have no rain. They shall receive the plagues which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacle. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And that day holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bills of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judea shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. And that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. And um, notice... We don't have here uh, the feast of Passover being celebrated because that one has already been fulfilled when Jesus uh, was the Passover, literally the Passover lamb. So this feast here isn't a, a feast for atonement of sins. That's all taken care of. It's an ongoing remembrance that throughout this thousand-year reign, um, just try to put yourself in the in the moment. People will be still reproducing. Uh, we're not talking the church here. Uh, that we, we're told that a child, when it's um, young, will be a hundred years old, and um, people will still have, for a period of time, uh, forced to live righteously. When it says he will rule them with a rod of iron. The whole world is going to come out, and we'll talk more about this later. Jerusalem's a focal point. And the Lord is the one who's reigning over all of it. And you'll be forced uh, to be involved with these, and if not, consequences. What are the consequences? Well, no rain on you. Starve. And um, uh, that will be taking place all the way up till the very end. There's a reason why... 
Revelation 20 says that um, the Lord doesn't take Lucifer, Satan, the devil, call him what you want to, and immediately cast him into the uh, lake of fire with the false prophet and the beast. But instead he chains him up for a thousand years and then lets him go after the thousand years. Why? Because these people have been forced to live righteously, not of their free will. But just like in the garden, if God wanted to have unforced relationships of love with Adam and Eve, then there had to be a choice. It was going to be their choice. Would they walk in the ways of the Lord? An alternative was allowed. That was Lucifer. And um, they chose the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life over fellowship with God. And they saw their nakedness. So as we begin Psalm 81, the Lord is saying, remember, remember, remember. It reminds me of the book of Revelation in the church of Ephesus. They were doing everything so well and so right, but then they got away from their first love, that which God really desires and what he really wants is that relationship. That's why you guys are. That's why I am. I'm here um, not for service. I'm here for relationship. And that should be foremost and, and primary. Somebody want to give me an amen or not? And I, I forget about that. So what, what does the Lord say to the church in Ephesus? Remember. Remember from whence you have fallen. Then what? Then repent. Say, Lord, I got busy with church business. I was doing this and this and this and this. But you weren't involved with it. And I wasn't fellowshipping with you and so on and so forth. And then he says, Repent. And that word, that's, you can call them the three R's. Remember, repent, and then return. Get back to your first love. And that's um, what, basically, as you look at Psalm 81, my, my title uh, above it says, God's plea for Israel's obedience. Guys, remember the Feast of Tabernacles. I was there providing for you those 40 years. I delivered you out of bondage, out of Egypt. Don't forget it. All right, so let's go back to um, that. Look at verse 5, because there's just one verse I want to get sidetracked on here. This he established for Joseph for a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language that I did not understand. Now he's telling the whole story of Joseph. Remember Joseph, Genesis 37, towards, um, there's 50 chapters in Genesis more of the book of Genesis is given to the life of Joseph than all that, everything else that's there. Well, talking about getting alone with the Lord, <clears throat> about a month or half ago or so, we were in Arizona. And um, one of the great things there that I like to do when I can, I'm painting a trailer right now, but when I could get away, I have a pass to um, Lost Dutchman State Park. And um, that whole area, is, uh, it's a mega complex from my friend um, Ed Yurak, who pastors Calvary Chapel, Buckeye, and then you have John Higgins and Tempe, and then you have uh, um, uh, Charlie, who is in uh, Calvary Chapel, Apache Junction. And there's nothing but, it's a huge area. Uh, Mesa itself is larger, surprising people, than, than Min- Minneapolis. And... Um, it's just huge, but as soon as you get to Lodge Suchman State Park, you run into a mountain, and there, there's this last roll of houses, and from there in is uh, all 
natural. It's all natural. And there's these beautiful trails. It's, it's desert. And uh, that's where I, I get um, um, my best talking. I call it walking and talking with Jesus, just like that. And um, even when I was there, I'm praying about things. I was praying about this year's pastor's conference. It didn't have a theme. And all of a sudden, the Lord just gave it to me. And it was, uh, I thought, what, it would be great. And it's going to be right here. It's going to be on the life of Joseph. And even though you feel that you're confident that the Lord is, that's what the Lord has given you, um, it's still a step of faith. But I'm calling guys to participate in this. And and, um, I wanted Bill Gallatin, um, having Scott here for the funeral, I Bill was the first Calvary Chapel that Chuck sent out this side of the Mississippi River. And uh, he beat me by six months. But we've been friends for a long time, so I called him yesterday, and I didn't leave a message, and he called me back this morning. He says, Dwight, what's up? And uh, I said, how are you doing? He says, well, I'm suffering down here in Miami. It's just just terrible, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I said, I'll rub it in already. And, uh, but anyway, I said, the reason I'm calling, Bill, I said, I've been praying about the conference. Would you come up and speak this year at the conference? He said, I'd be honored to. He says, what's the theme? And I said, well, it's going to be on the life of Joseph. And he broke out laughing. And I said, okay, what's so funny? He says, well, I'm studying right now for the next conference I'm going to. It's on the life of Joseph. And so, I, and he just said, there's your confirmation. He called the secretary to make sure everything was open. But, you know, you take steps of faith and you feel that this is what's happened, but you don't really know for sure. You don't always get the confirmation. But it made my day, and I said, Bill, this makes my day. Number one, you're coming, and number two, you're helping confirm what the Lord says here, that there's 110. Uh, I'm going to tell you that I stole the title for this year's uh, pastor's conference from Gene Getz, because he wrote a commentary on the life of Joseph, and he called it from the pit to the pinnacle. I mean, here's this godly young man who really goes through some hard, hard times from the pit to the second most powerful man in the world. And um, there will be a lot of good practical studies that the guys will be able to draw from. But I thought I'd throw that story in there today because I thought it was timely He's telling them to remember Joseph, how he went into this land. And, and, but the point is that God was with him every step of the way. And when all was said and done, his brothers who meant it for evil, he said, no, you guys missed it all. God didn't mean any of that stuff, Joseph, that you went through for evil, none of it. It was that a whole nation would be preserved. And God picked you up, put you here, took you, left you down in that pit, then you were accused of rape, and then you went to jail, and then you were raised up in jail, and and then you told a couple guys their visions and their dreams, and and then the Pharaoh has a dream, and before you know it, you're the second most powerful man in the world calling the shots. And so when his brothers finally do show up, they're they're afraid when they found out it was Joseph. They thought they did him in. And he said, Don't worry about it, guys. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for the saving of a nation. So when we go through our hard times, when you're in the pit, it's just a process, and it's only a period of time that God is using. 
um, because there's something farther down the road that we don't know about. And um, so I like verse 5 here. What is, what is the overview of 81? He's trying to get them to remember. Remember Joseph? Remember all the things that happened to him? And then in verses 6 and 7, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hand was freed from the baskets. You called in trouble and I delivered you. And I answered you in the secret place of thunder. And I approved you at the waters of Meribah. Now we're changing from Joseph. And now we're going to Moses and the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 17. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 17. And um, if ever there was, you know, Jesus said the volume of the book is about him. And I like the saying for every New Testament teaching, we have this Old Testament picture. To me, here is one of the clearest pictures of um, the Lord Jesus Christ that is in picture form. And I'm actually just going to read chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Now remember the context of Psalm 81. He's pleading with them by reminding them of things that he did in the past for them. Verse 1, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. Interesting. According to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? And why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Why is it that you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go up before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. And also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and the water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And so they called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's always a fair question to ask. Is the Lord here or isn't he? Well, if we go by our feelings or emotions, you may say yes or you may say no. But the word of God clearly says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there. So now, what's the answer to the question? Is the Lord amongst us or not? Answer, absolutely. There's more than two of us that are here. I'll never leave you or forsake you. But here's where the picture comes in. They left the world, Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. That's a picture of baptism. And now, as Christians, we're told to walk whether the lights are on or whether the lights are off. And you just have to go with the flow when those things happen. So, is the Lord amongst us? or not, uh, was the question, but 
Psalm 81, he says, remember what happened back there with Moses? Remember when you guys were all upset and complaining and murmuring and so on and so forth? The Lord told Moses to take his rod and strike the rock. Well, you can write, you can either look it up or I'll just quote it. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, And they drank that same spiritual drink, for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So we're told here from in 1 Corinthians 10 that the very rock that's being struck by Moses was to bring forth life, giving water so that they would live. And here we have a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being smitten. Why? So that life would come forth for the people who needed the water to live. It's a picture of the cross. But um, what's interesting is that this is repeated later on, and the people complain again, and um, the Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, tell you what, Moses, I want you to go, and I want you to speak to the rock, and it'll bring forth water. But that's not what Moses did. Moses was ticked off. He had headed up to here with the people. All they were doing was murmuring, complaining. And uh, God had provided in the past. And so he, he got in the flesh. And the Lord told him, just go speak to the rock. God wasn't angry with the people at all. But more importantly, there's another picture that's being drawn here that's important for us to see. Moses took his staff. And he went to the rock and he said, must I bring forth water from this rock? And he struck the rock twice. And water came out abundantly. There's God's grace. But Moses blew it big time. The Lord says, we'll talk, Moses. Come on over. We need to talk. What did I tell you to do? Well, you told me to go over and talk to the rock. And what did you do? Well, you went over and hit it twice. That's not what I told you to do. Because you've done this, Moses, you can't go into the promised land. What? After all this time? After serving you all these years, you're not going to let me go in. No, you're not going in. Somebody else is going to go in. His name is Joshua. And why this is important, there's a couple different pictures that you have to see here. The first one is in uh, the Gospel of John, where it says, The law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the picture there is, if Moses represents the law, there's no way that the law could ever bring you into God's promises. Is everybody tracking with me there? On the other hand, um, only Joshua, translated Jesus, can bring you into God's promises. The law came through Moses. That's John 1, verse 17. The law came through Moses. It can't bring you in. So the Lord allowed Moses to get in the flesh. He allowed him to strike the rock. God was gracious, and that rock was still bringing forth water. But now, because Jesus was stricken once, now Hebrews 10 comes into play. So the whole idea of the mass, or continual sacrifice, or doing anything other than the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross is what Hebrews 10 is all about. It says who offered himself one time. And once Jesus is stricken once, he never needs to be stricken again. Well, what do you need to do? Well, you need to just speak. Just talk to him. Just come and pray in Jesus' name. 
John 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you from your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You mean I don't have to eat the Eucharist that comes down and it's magically transformed, uh, transubstantiation, and then my sins are forgiven again as Jesus is crucified again on the altar? That's what transubstantiation is. And actually, it's striking the rock the second time. And I know what I said offends people when I have to point out doctrinal things that aren't scriptural. And here we have this picture from the Old Testament where the Lord is trying to get the people to come back to him. And the picture is once the Lord, Hebrews 10, is stricken once, he never be, it does. All you have to do, Moses, is talk to the rock. And it'll be just fine. So here we are as Christians. Um, you don't need a, a mediator, a go-between, i.e. a priest. There's one medi- mediator between God and man, and who is it? The Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told to come boldly before him and ask him to intercede on your behalf. But this part of it here that that is alluded to is important because it is, Jesus is the rock. Again, First uh, Corinthians 10, verse 4. And uh, it's a whole progression. The Old Testament is a beautiful picture. Being saved out of Egypt, being going through the Red Sea, being baptized, and then uh, beginning to walk by faith, but we complain a lot, don't we? Are we any different than these guys? No, we complain all the time. Why, 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 why? Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and the Lord pulls us through, and we continue this walk of faith. And um, I'll just have to leave it there because we won't even get to 81. So let's go back. So eight through eight, six through eight here, these, I proved you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Again, the word Selah is let's go back there and take a look at it again and think about it. That God was gracious. He got him through it. The rest of the chapter, 8 through 16, gets to what we've read so far are different stories, uh, how God was faithful in the past. And then in verse 8 through 16, he says, Oh, now hear me, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will just listen to me, explanation point. There shall be no foreign, foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I'm Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide. I'll fill it. But my people would not heed my voice. Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to a stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hands against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission uh, to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. He wants to bless them, but they kept going astray and wandering after foreign gods. So aren't you glad that I left off and said we'll catch it next time because I only had about two minutes left. So I'm glad we came back to do 81, but we've done it. We're leaving the Psalms of Asaph, and now we're in Psalm 85. Um, Picking it up in 85, um, this is also the sons of Korah. 
And this first verse here, we'll just take first verse. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. Um, many people believe that this is a reference of the return from the land of the Babylonian captivity. But it talks about here bringing back all of them. Um, I don't think that's what's going on here. Only 50, less than 50,000, 49,000 and something came back from the captivity. Here we have a complete coming back. And it's more than likely, again, futuristic, uh, referring to, again, the time when the kingdom is established. And I believe it is yet even future. You have brought back the captivity. And verse 2, you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sins. Selah. Well, that hasn't happened yet. And um, um, Israel is just as secular as it could possibly imagine. I mean, um, Haifa is Vegas. I mean, that's the way it looks like to me. When, when we stay there for one night, it's com- a completely ungodly, worldly city. And uh, prostitution is probably one of the biggest things that it's, that it's known for. I'll just leave that at that. But I believe verse 2, their iniquity has not yet been fully covered. You have covered all their sins, Selah. Not not quite yet. Again, when you um, um, study the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah, Malachi, uh, he severely rebukes the people because their hearts are so far away from the Lord. And um, we don't have this in view here. We have a time of uh, complete forgiveness and restoration. All right, three through, let's make our way three through nine at this time. You have taken away all your wrath and you have turned from the fierceness of your anger. That's yet future. Restore us, O God, of our salvation and cause your anger towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. And I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to the, to the people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. The day is coming for Israel when the sufferings of these people will finally come to an end. As we've seen in history, and what we read just uh, last week, that they uh, drink tears for their drink and they eat tears for their bread. Well, the day is coming when that's all going to be over and God's going to wipe away their tears. Now, Having said that, and just the reality of the Jewish people, yesterday was the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. And I watched Wolf Blitzer standing under uh, the gates that lead into Auschwitz. And I've told this group um, many times that I've been there three times. And there's two places there. One's called Auschwitz and the other one's called Birkenau. Um, the Germans were successful in burning down everything but the cre- crematoriums at Birkenau. 
However, Auschwitz is totally intact. Very little was destroyed there. And, um, of course, there's that famous arch there, Work Makes Freedom, that was there. And the person doing the interviewing asked Wolf Blitzer if he wouldn't mind getting personal. And he says, no, I lost my grandparents here. And uh, evidently his father escaped, but one of them, I guess he said they actually grew up in Auschwitz. Auschwitz, the city, is a beautiful, beautiful, quaint European town. And um, but Wolf Blitzer was talking about it. But, you know, <clears throat> the Bible talks about birth pains and signs. Seventy years is a significant number. I mean, when we get to Psalm 90, it's going to be written by Moses. He's 120. But he says a man's life is going to be three score and ten, or 70. 70 is a reoccurring number. We have Daniel's 70 weeks and so on and so forth. And you can really do some rabbit trails of this one if you want to read um, A.W. Bollinger's book on, on biblical numerology and the number 70 in particular. Um, so yesterday, to me, was a signpost, was a milestone. And um, it's like going to Israel or going to Haiti and trying to explain it. You can't. You got to go there. You got to experience it. And uh, there's no words to describe Auschwitz. And there's no words to describe Yad Vashem. Um, and watching Wolf Blitzer, who obviously is a Jewish man, lost his grandparents there. Um, there is a handful of people that were kids that they were showing on the news that are still alive to this day. And that was 70 years ago. So yesterday was the anniversary of the liberation uh, in 1945, on, um, oh, what, what's, what was today's date? Today's the 28th? Was it the 27th? I guess it was the 27th. And anyway, um, that was the anniversary date. Why do I bring it up? Because of anti-Semitism. I was reading a, a news story today that just in um, France alone, anti-Semitism has doubled since last year. And as we look what's going on in uh, Europe, uh, we see a rise again. You, you, you would think such a, a thing could never, ever happen again, but it's happening again. And that same spirit of Antichrist is still wanting to take out the Jewish people from the beginning. All right, so as we look <clears throat> at um, verses up till 9 here, It is a suffering that these people have gone through. And uh, let's finish up verse 10 through 12 here in chapter 85. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Now it's talking again um, uh, about uh, the future. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Not yet. Right now, mercy and truth haven't met. There's not mercy and truth in this world or justice. Um, I watched an interview from, of a four-star general on the news this morning. He's madder than a hornet. 
um, because we have not dealt with this ISIS situation. And um, he, he was quoting another four-star general who was mad as a hornet. Um, and he's showing the rapid increase of Islam, radical Islam, and what their true agenda is. And um, they're mad because they feel that the job could be done if they just um, could still have their jobs and do their job. So, but my point is, um, mercy and truth haven't met each other, and righteousness and peace haven't kissed each other yet. I like the way Dylan says it best when he wrote the song, When He Returns. He's got a line in there that says, When will I ever learn that there will be no peace until he returns? And gang, we need to know it. The world is not going to, it's like uh, Dominion theology teaches, or uh, Dominionism in particular, that, uh, or Kingdom Now theology, that as long as we keep preaching the gospel, the world's going to get better and better and better. No, it's not what the Bible teaches. That's only going to happen when the Prince of Peace himself returns to this planet and Jerusalem becomes the capital of the world and the King of Kings is going to rule. Then there will be righteousness. Then mercy and truth will meet. Then righteousness, uh, how does it say it here? It's very poetic. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That will happen then. But between now and then, it looks like storms on the horizon. And um, that's really what the Bible tells us. So this is a great verse, but it's, again, talking future. Do we see signposts? Yeah, I think yesterday was a signpost. Seventy years, interesting that that's happened, and now we have this uh, radical group, again, on the rise. Psalm 86. Psalm 86 is a prayer now of David. So we've left now the the Psalms of the sons of Korah. And here's one by David. Now this Psalm is remarkable in several ways because it has an an intertwines and uh, Mary and I actually got out our blue letter Bibles and um, made a distinction in the names of God that is in Psalm 86. And I'm actually gonna tell you as we read through this uh, we have a scene in the Psalms, different names, like Elohim, which speaks of God as being the creator, and Jehovah, which speaks as God as Savior, has been used. In this Psalm, another name of God appears, and it appears seven times, and that is Adonai, of which the English translation is Lord. Adonai is the name of God, which the pious Jews used and still does, instead of saying Jehovah. When an Orthodox Jew Jew comes to the name of Jehovah, the sacred uh, tetragram, Y-H-W-H, he doesn't pronounce it. In fact, the pronunciation has been lost, and today's scholars debate about whether it should be pronounced Jehovah, or is it Yahweh, or something else. The Orthodox Jew, considering the name Jehovah too sacred to ever be spoken, substitutes the name Adonai. Adonai refers to God as Savior, the one who is the holy God, the one who has been able to extend his mercy to us. Now, I'm going to do something I've never done before, and that is every time I either get to the word Lord or God, uh, from the Blue Letter Bible in, in, in the Hebrew translation, 
I'm going to tell you whether or not it's uh, Jehovah, Elohim, or Adonai. I got my little marks in my Bible, so I'll know which is which. But seven times, it's going to be referred to here as um, Adonai. And sure enough, by the time I got through them all and counted them up, there were seven. So that's the theological side of it. Uh, the other side of it is um, Ruth Christian's birthday was yesterday. And you're probably going, where in the world is he going now? <laughs> and that whenever we have somebody that's uh, you know, a staff member, or, or we always have, and if it's their birthday, we usually do Famous Daves and have a party. And so we're always waiting for somebody to have a birthday because I really like Famous Daves. <laughs> anyway, as we were uh, singing Happy Birthday to uh, Ruthie, um, Teresa Mueller uh, called. And she was singing to Ruthie because they're good, they're buddies. And uh, Ruth had just been talking earlier. She says, you know, I miss Bruce and Teresa so much. I'd really like to bring them out sometime during the summer. What do you think? And I'm thinking, well, we haven't asked anybody yet to come for the pastor's conference to do special music. Had a couple in the back of my mind. I said, well, why don't you invite them out for the, why don't we invite them out for the, do the special music for the pastor's conference? So long story short, she called um, while we're having this birthday party. She accused us of having too much fun, and uh, we were probably guilty of that. But long story short, um, he said, Teresa, as long as you're there, and Bruce was there too, I said, well, why don't you guys come on out and be the special music for, for the um, uh, conference? Dwight, what does that have to do with Psalm 86? Only that they put music to bow down your ear, O Lord, and hear me. I, I can't read this without the song going through my head. They put it to music. Bow down thy ear and hear me, for I am poor and I am needy. That is, uh, I'm almost 100% sure it was Bruce that put it to music. I could be wrong, it might be Bob Claycamp. So that's why when we read the Psalms, this is the song. Bow down your ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and I am needy. O Lord there in the first one is Jehovah. In verse 2, preserve my life, for I am holy. You are God. That one is Elohim. Save your servant who trusted you. Be merciful to me, O Lord. And that one there is Adonai. For I cry to you all day long, rejoice the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, Adonai, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, Adonai, are good and you're ready to forgive an abundant mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, there it's Jehovah that's being used, my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplication. I mentioned last week that only several times in the Old Testament is Jehovah actually mentioned. Here's one of them. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, and you will answer me. Then in verse 8, we have gods, but notice it's with a little g. Now this one tripped me up because we did a word search on this. Among the gods, plural, there is none like you. Well, usually the translation, and in the context here, would be, we talked about this before, a person in authority 
who's human, who has the right to dictate judgment upon another person, a judge. Uh, Just like God has uh, the authority to inflict justice or punishment. So I thought for sure that would be the word there, but it's not. The word is actually Elohim. And I don't have an answer for you besides that. I have to do my own more homework before I'm more satisfied with that translation in verse 8 here. Among the gods, plural, there is none like you, O Lord, but that one it is Adonai. Nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, Adonai. Okay, here again is futuristic. We have the kingdom in sight. Um, All nations right now are coming together against Jerusalem. Just want to make sure you're still there. Is that an amen for that? Do we not see the nations gathering together against them? Well, here we're, we're told now all nations are going to come and worship before you, O Lord. And here again it's Adonai. And shall glorify your name, for you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are Elohim. You alone are God. Teach me the way, O Lord, and that is Jehovah, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name, and I will praise you, O Lord. And then we have, for Lord, there Adonai, my God, Elohim. Very interesting. With one heart, and I will uh, glorify your name forever. I just want to get sidetracked here on, Lord, uh, teach me your ways. I won't have you turn there, but... um, When Jesus did come in Matthew 11, and he was talking to the the multitudes, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. One of the reasons we have Bible studies, we want to, what does God's word have to say about the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ? Answer, well, he's gentle. And he's lowly. Sometimes when I see these radical preachers prancing up back and forth, waving their hanky up and down and so on and so forth, I can't see Jesus doing that at all. The only time I can see him doing anything like that is when he's making whips and cleaning house in the tabernacle. Otherwise, how must it have been like to, to listen to the Lord? I see him comfortably sitting down, um, definitely not shouting, unless he was rebuking the Pharisees. No, he says he's gentle and lowly in heart. And he says, if you learn about me, then you're going to find rest for your souls. You get close to him, and the storms of life are calmed. And here he says, teach me your ways, O Lord, and I'll walk in your truth. Well, in order to be taught, you've got to be teachable. And in order to be fed, the only way that I know how to be fed that the Bible tells us is man can't live by bread alone by every word that comes from God. Um, We do really well with feeding the flesh. (laughs) And yet, how much time do we take to seriously sit down and just digest God's word, take it in, and be like uh, David here and say, Lord, just teach me. I'll be teachable. Let your word find a place in my heart. Take me from the milk to the meat. Hebrews, Paul is... Rebuke, rebuking them, I think, is Paul. 
He said, I should be speaking to you as mature Christians, but he says, you can't. I've got to go back and t- give you the milk and the elementary principles. I've got to go back to the ABCs when you should be farther along. And we don't want that set of us. We want, we want some spiritual meat on our bones. We want to be able to give an answer to every man about the hope that we have with us. Judy had a couple of Jehovah Witnesses come to our house today. And uh, I missed all the fun. And uh, <laughs> she handled it well. But I wish I would have been there. Thing is, it was cold outside, and I can't let him in because the Bible tells me not to. So it would have been an outdoor, long, ongoing witness. So you can ask her about her experience with her JW friends today. All right, let's finish up the chapter <clears throat> um, 13 through 17. Uh, for great is your mercy towards me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God, and that's L there, singular. Um, and that O Lord in verse 15 is Adonai. I should go back to verse 14 where it says, God, that's Elohim. O turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. But you, Lord, and here it is, Jehovah again, but you, Lord, help me and comfort me. The point that I want to make here is that he, David, if anything we want to learn from Psalm 86 and David is the end of it here. He looks to the Lord for the one to do his avenging instead of doing it himself. Romans 12 says, Beloved, now it's talking to us, New Testament, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Nobody's getting away with anything. Hebrews 10, verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again, the Lord will judge his people. So as he winds this up, he says, Lord, there are those that are after me, and um, will you save me? Will you be the one who is my defender? And just remember, you know, the battle is the Lord's. You can fight it if you want to, but you'll probably mess it up. I usually do when I try to fight my own. And uh, just give it to the Lord because vengeance is belongs to him. Psalm 87 is seven verses long, so let's just read it and I'll comment on it because it'll deal, it deals with probably where we're going on Sunday. And um, again, we don't talk enough about heaven and we don't talk enough about what's going to happen during that thousand year period of time. But this is the city of God, the glorious Zion. His foundation is the holy mountain. Oh, the Lord loves the gates of Zion. More than all the dwellings of Jacob, glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. We sing that song too, don't we? Selah. Now I'll make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born here. Now, in this particular psalm, um, when it talks about um, 
um, Rahab. Rahab is not the harlot of Jericho, but it's Egypt. And the cross-reference at Isaiah 51, verse 9. It represents the southern power. Babylon represents the northern. The name Rahab means tumult, and Babylon means confusion. The tumult and the confusion of these nations will end when Christ is reigning in Zion. So that's the idea here. That's what's taking place in the world as it is today. Then it goes on, verse 5. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the peoples, this one was born there, Selah. Uh, Interesting insights on some of the stuff that will be taking place. Both the singers and the players on the instruments say, all my springs are in you. It's going to be a time of um, um, this glorious place that becomes the center of the universe and everything is going to flow out from it. Whereas right now, what do we see? Anti-Semitism on the rise. All nations plotting against it. Um, The call, and it's just getting ratcheted up as Persia. In Ezekiel 38, uh, we refer to as um, Iran. The stage is just being set more and more, and we shouldn't be a bit surprised. Um, The light that I'll leave you with at the end of the tunnel, hey, there's a new day dawning. And when the king comes, there's going to be peace. And um, that's what we have to look forward to. And, you know, when when Tom came in today, um, it was hard looking at him because he lost his mom. But the first thing he said was, she's home, she's in heaven. And that's the fact. She's home. She's in heaven. Bastia's with us tonight. Just reaffirm my love for you, Bastia. Betty's home. She's in heaven. Everything's fine. And we miss her. But we have this wonderful kingdom that's, that's coming. And Psalm 87 is all about that glorious city. God's word can't be broken. It must be fulfilled. Jesus said the scriptures must be fulfilled. There's no power in the universe that can stop this from happening. How's that for a way to end a study? Pretty good? We'll leave it at that. Let's stand one close in prayer. Lord, thank you for these psalms tonight and the comfort that they bring to us. Thank you that you tell us that the wise man builds his, his house upon the word of God, the solid rock of your word. Yes, there will be storms. Your chosen people, Lord, have been through so much. But there's coming a day, Lord, when the place that the world wants to destroy is going to become the center, and all nations will flow into it to worship. And so, Lord, we pray your kingdom would come. We pray that your will would be done. And we thank you for the word of God that keeps us focused on the main thing. And, Lord, if we've gotten away from being busy and and keeping you as our first love, we want to remember from whence we came We want to repent and get back to our first love with you. Just keep us in that place, Lord, of having that first love relationship with you. Lord, bless your people as we go out tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.